Thank you. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. That was the uh, music of the Werdiger family, uh, Keladon. You heard Malayim done by Yidl, Yomi Loi with uh, Misha Berach in, uh, in honor and praying for the recovery of those who are ill. Uh, Leif Tahar had both Mehera for the uh, Hassanim and Kalas who are getting married post-Lagba Omer and Dror Yikra. The Lockdown Song, that was the brand new one from Schlockrock. Ain Ode Milvado, that was Shmuley Unger, and of course Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this May 15th, the 21st of ER, the year 5780, Tufshin Pei. Today is day number 36 in the counting of the Omer, five weeks in one day, day 36. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos, Bahar, and Bechukosai, a double Parsha this week as we close out the Book of Ayikra. We've been uh, secluded outside of our synagogues, the entire Book of Ayikra, hard to believe. And uh, we wrap it up tomorrow with Bahar and Bechukosai. Candle lighting in New York, 746. And, of course, Friday, one week from today, is Yom Yerushalayim. Can't wait to present the Yom Yerushalayim special. 61 degrees, 82% humidity. Winds are west at 4 miles an hour. Morning clouds, afternoon sun, and a high temperature of 84. Wow. Tonight, showers late, a low 64. Tomorrow, partly cloudy and a high of 78 degrees. In Israel, they're going through a heat wave. They're hitting up to 100 degrees tomorrow. Right now, they're at 91.1 degrees. We're at 61 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Plenty coming up, as I just posted on Facebook. We have Malcolm Holmline at 7.40 Eastern Time. Rabbi Yudin at 8.15. Dr. Stuart Ditchick with an update regarding the corona situation. He'll join us at um, at 8.40 this morning here at JM in the AM. So there is plenty to talk about, lots to do, and a lot to explore. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning from JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Draw Ye Craw, done by the Maccabees. You heard David Gabe with Ha'aderet Vahayamuna. Ha'kola Tova, that was Benny Friedman. Sandy Shmueli's Eitz Chaim He. Ufros, done by Shlomo Katz. Yaakov Shweki with H to open up the set here at J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Big lineup today. Malcolm Holmline joins us at 7.40 Eastern Time with a weekly update. 8.15 for Rabbi Yudin. He'll have words about Parshas Bahar and Parshas Bichukosai. At 8.40, Dr. Stuart Ditchick with a COVID-19 update. We'll speak with him coming up. It's all happening here this morning on JM in the AM. At uh, 9.30, Naomi Nachman with a uh, with a table for two broadcasts. Then at 10 o'clock, Mark Zomik and the encore presentation of the uh, Erev Shabbos show. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's all coming up if you keep it here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Next Friday is Yom Yerushalayim. Keep that in mind. One week from today, we'll celebrate between 6 and 9 a.m. Candle lighting time today. It's 746. 746 in New York. And this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the Nahum Siegel Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Golly, it's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. 61 degrees, morning clouds, afternoon sun, and a high of 84. You wish a lime at 91. They're in a heat wave in Israel. 61 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. Looking for a few days in a row for rain. Looks like it's going to be raining here in this area uh, the majority of the next week. At least that's what they're saying. Uh, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman, kosher hot dog, sausage, and deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954, available at Better Kosher Supermarkets nationwide. Go to kosherdogs.net. Save 10% with promo code RADIO. News from Israel next to Jamie. <laughs> מעונות היום והמשפחתונים המפוקחים לגיל הרך יחזרו לפעול במתכונת מלאה מיום שני, כך הודיע משרד העבודה והרווחה. המעונות יפעלו במתווה שמאפשר לקלוט את כל הילדים הרשומים, תוך שמירה על הנחיות חיטוי והיגיינה של משרד הבריאות. באזורים שבהם נרשמה תחלואה גבוהה, לא ייפתחו המוסדות באופן מלא. הארגונים המפעילים את מעונות היום ברכו ומסרו, זו הדרך היחידה לשחרר את המשק. ולהחזיר מאיגוד הפסיכיאטריה של ההסתדרות הרפואית נמסר כי המהלך אורגן בדרישה לאנשי ביטחון בכל מחלקה, תגבורת צוותים המטפלים והפרדת המטופלים המשפטיים למסגרות יהודיות. בני הזוג שנמצאו ללא רוח חיים אתמול בדירתם בבאר שבע הם המוזיקאי זיו מטושקה ובת זוגו לחיים וליצירה נטלי בר. מטושקה היה חלק מרכזי מסצנת המוזיקה האלקטרונית בישראל כטכנאי סאונד, מפיק ומורה. בין היתר עבד עם אסף אמדורסקי על האלבום מנועים שקטים ועם אביתר בנאי על האלבום שיר טיול. כתבנו רמי שנים מוסר כי פעולת ההתאבדות הכפולה מיוחסת בשלב זה לקשיים כלכליים שנוצרו ככל הנראה בעקבות משבר הקורונה. 
מדד המחירים לצרכן ירד בשלוש עשיריות האחוז בחודש אפריל, כך מדווחת הלשכה המרכזית לסטטיסטיקה. כתבנו לענייני כלכלה ניתאי ענבי מוסיף כי מדד מחירי הדירות טיפס בשש עשיריות האחוז והשלים עלייה של ארבעה אחוזים ושתי עשיריות בחישוב שנתי. חברת התעופה סוויס אייר תחדש את טיסותיה בקו תל אביב ציריך ב-15 ביוני. אתמול לופטנזה הודיעה על חידוש טיסותיה למינכן ולפרנקפורט, עוד חברות תעופה שהודיעו על חידוש הפעילות, KLM, וירג'ן אטלנטיק ובריטיש איירווייז. כתבתנו עינב קרנר מזכירה כי כניסת זרים לארץ אסורה עד 30 במאי, וכי ישראלים השבים מחו"ל מחויבים בבידוד ביתי. מזג האוויר חם מהרגיל עד שרבי בשבת מחר, תורגש התחממות נוספת, וצפוי שרב עם עומס חום כבד. שיימשך עד לרביעי, אלה החדשות.
Mine's already racing. New day, what will I be facing? Where is my ride? My coffee's cold again. Wake up, kids, the bus is coming. Miles of homework, tell me where you're running. Pressure's rising fast, and here we go again. But when your day is going backwards and it swallows you, open up your eyes, the good is right in front of you. It's been 340 days Thanking you 10 million ways That I am alive I am alive Breathing, singing, standing strong Skies are blue, what could be wrong That I am alive I am alive Moonlight, the stars are all around me Was dark, but now the land has found me the world is turning every day for me. Every day for me. I know each moment is a treasure. Thanking you for every stone and feather. What are you grateful for today, my friend? And when your day is going right, just say a simple 
Jam in the AM with Eitan Kleinman. Song is called MS here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos at JM in the AM. Uh, before that, you heard Yehuda Green, Mim Komcha, Aryeh Kunstler's Ms. Marshir, Vyazor from the album entitled Vizos HaTorah. Remember that CD? I Am Alive, done by Yaakov Shweki and Va'ani. Mordechai and David opened up the hour for us here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, era of Shabbos, day 36 in the counting of the Omer, five weeks in one day. Make sure you know. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's funny. I was using a uh, a follow-up comment on the wrong thing. Uh, if you, in case you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Bahar, and Bechukosai with candle lighting at 746, 746 here in New York. Friday, a week from today, is Yom Yerushalayim. Our Yom Yerushalayim special will be Friday morning between 6 and 9 right here. At JM in the AM, 61 degrees, morning clouds, afternoon sun, a high of 84. Big, big Friday here at JM in the AM with Malcolm Holmline coming up about uh, five minutes from now. Um, Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15. We've got um, Dr. Stuart Ditchick, who will join us coming up at uh, 8.40 Eastern time for a COVID-19 update. So we'll do all of that coming up at JM in the AM, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abels and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage in Delhi is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at kosher supermarkets nationwide. And check out the amazing website, kosherdogs.net, kosherdogs.net. When you go to that website, you can save 10% with promo code radio. Again, you can save 10% with promo code radio. So check out our friends at A&H today, kosherdogs.net. What did I do with my uh, what did I do with my art scroll announcement? Where did it go? Hmm. Not sure where it went. Uh, but we do continue to recommend artscroll.com. Again, that's artscroll.com, and uh, when you want to. When you want to save on that site, of course, you put in promo code radio. Again, that's promo code radio. Uh, the brand new Panay Menachem is available to you at a uh, 15% discount when you use promo code radio. Here it is. Panay Menachem, the stories and lessons of Torah leadership, compassion, and empathy from the life of Ray Pinchas Menachem Alter of Ger. Uh, available at 15% off with promo code radio. And you could pre-order Living Amuna right now and get a 10% discount with promo code radio. Living Amuna. Whenever you go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio and enjoy. Again, promo code radio. Um, I want to thank those who continue to support us with the um, amazing... An incredible response to our 2020 fundraiser. Thank you. And those of you who have not yet participated, I'm asking all of you, please go to fjbunity.org. If you enjoy the music, and you enjoy Rabbi Yudin, and you enjoy Rabbi Goldwasser, and you enjoy Malcolm Honline, and you enjoy Dr. Dietrich, and you enjoy all the things that we bring you on a daily basis... Uh, and all the different things that pop up from around the world. It could be a conversation from Australia, a conversation from Florida, a conversation from Venice. Again, I'm just thinking of some of the things that have happened over the last two weeks, <laughs> which is unbelievable. 
um, then please, I'm asking you to join us and be part of our 2020 fundraiser. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Uh, you could sponsor part or all of a broadcast if you wish to do so in memory of somebody, which would be a perfect uh, Yisker commemoration. Yisker, of course, coming up next week would be a very good yard site commemoration. Um, yeah, all we ask is that you go to uh, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and give as generously as possible. Do those of you out there remember the uh, the album called The Benching Tape? There was an album called The Benching Tape. And on that album, this beautiful Ritze was done by A.B. Rottenberg and I believe Dove Levine and Company. Ritze, beautiful Shabbos selection from years ago at JM and the AM. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
J.M. in the A.M. Yes, it is on uh, H. Volume Number Two. I just think that this version of it, with this arrangement and the combination of A.B. Rottenberg and uh, Dove Levine, is simply amazing. One of our uh, listeners commented on the app how the same song was on H. Volume Two. That's the version off of the benching tape from many, many, many years ago. Kudos to Shia Mendlowitz.
and the entire team who put that together. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM, day 36 in the counting of the Omer. Don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. Excuse me, JewishWorldReview.com. Uh, print out, uh, you have the ability there on the site to print out uh, thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world to enjoy over your Shabbat. A long Shabbat. No candle lighting here till 746. Wow. Uh, so just go to JewishWorldReview.com and you'll see the uh, wealth and the breadth of um, information they have there for you to enjoy both now electronically and uh, over Shabbat if you remember to print uh, some good material out uh, before Shabbat begins. Uh, reminder, next week our Yom Yerushalayim special. The following week is the holiday of Shavuos, so take it all in now because the next time we'll have a weekly update scheduled is for June the 5th. And um, make sure to tune in to our Yom Yerushalayim special next week. It's always uh, extra special to say the least. And I thank Mayor Weingarten, who will be doing it with me uh, next week. I thank him uh, in advance. Uh, remember, our fundraiser is on. Please go to fjbunity.org. If you enjoy all the segments that we bring you every single day and all the different things that happen here um, on a regular basis, then we're asking for your support. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and please continue to support our efforts this time in our 2020 fundraiser. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings at 7.40 for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Malcolm. Nice to speak with you. Tell me about the, uh, you know, I mean, you, you are one who also advocates kicking off these conversations with really good news when we can. Tell me about this presentation by the uh, Israel Antiquities Authority, a rare bronze coin from the period of the Bar Kokhba revolt. And I remind you, according to my notes here, that's around 132 of the Common Era that was discovered in the archaeological excavations in the William Davidson Archaeological Park. Tell me about this discovery. Well, it is a very exciting uh, discovery coming as it did two days before uh, Lock Bomer or a couple of days before Lock Momer was revealed on Lock Momer. Um, and it's the first time that a coin has been found in Yerushalayim, and on the uh, reverse side, it says Yerushalayim. <laughs> it's the year two of the Revolt for Freedom, which tells you what the intent was, and it's believed that uh, it was probably brought into the city by some Roman legionnaires because the, uh, the troops never reached Yerushalayim in the Bar Kokhba Revolt. And uh, you there? Hello, Malcolm. Hello? Oh, there you are. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Right. Okay. Uh, the Bar Revolt, and it was found, as people know, where the Davidson Center is next to the Kotel, in excavations there. And it's um, it, that while there have been many coins from the era found, this is the first uh, one of the few times in Jerusalem. And um, and certainly with the fact that it has Yerushalayim written on it. Pretty amazing. And, and that close to Harabite, as you just mentioned, that close to the site of where the temple stood. And, you know, Malcolm, it's it, what's always – I mean, th there are many amazing aspects to this type of news that you always bring us. But the, 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 it, there was such a dearth, uh, there was such a gap in, uh, in, in strong 
active Jewish life in the land of Israel and in Jerusalem for so long. You can go to so many different eras during the Galut, during the exile, when it was such a, a weak presence of a Jewish community. Uh, it, it is a true blessing that we're able to find things from you know oh, from almost two thousand years ago uh, that continue to give us uh, evidence of the of the life of the Jewish people during a very very active time for the Jewish community. That that is very right, you know, and and the rarity of this is that uh, there was one of the archaeologists who said that he examined over twenty thousand coins discovered in archaeological excavations in and around the old city in Yerushalayim, and only four of them date to the period of the Bar Kokhba revolt. And when you compare that a much larger number of them uh, were found outside of Yerushalayim, uh, and, and you're absolutely right, when left undisturbed so that archaeologists can really uh, examine them, and you know how many of these sites have been looted over the years and, and uh, you know, once it's it's disrupted and you can't then fully reconstruct what the setting was, what the life was like, et cetera, um, and the, you know, the hundreds of sites around Israel where excavations are going on and unbelievable things uh, are being found. So this is, um, this is really a remar- one of those remarkable discoveries that... Uh, should inspire everybody. Yeah, and, and I and I talk about the uh, the miracle of it lasting two thousand years and being discovered. You're right; it's a miracle that it also survives the the damage that's being done to all these excavation sites and all these excavation uh, attempts. Well, we know one place now that that the Palestinian Authority is trying to take over. It's one of the the most northernmost of the uh, tells of the fortresses built, the eight fortresses built. In, by the Maccabees, by um, in uh dynasty, and uh, we know now that they have set up a platform around it. We know that they have tents, and that it's uh, you can't see what's going on there. But we believe that there are attempts to disrupt it. We know they knocked down one of the fortress walls. It's a it's an amazing place. It gives you a view of the whole region. You understand why the Hashmonaim built it there, and this is um, why the concern about the protection of the sites and the rediscovery of our history, because each of these discoveries ties and further justifies the existence of the state in a way that's irrefutable. It's not propaganda. It's not, you know, a Hasbara effort or or propaganda. It's in the ground. It's been there for 2,000 years waiting to be discovered so that everybody will know who's the rightful owner. And that's the reason that the enemy is uh, always trying to destroy these these sites and these efforts. Do we have a new government in the state of Israel? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> yes, we had it for a few minutes. Uh, no, we don't have a new government yet because there's a lot of internal bickering within Likud with disgruntled members uh, and people who didn't get the portfolios they wanted or didn't like the portfolios they got. And, you know, this government, I think, will have 36 members, which is an unbelievable number. So they had a you mean cabinet, cabinet ministries you mean, taking something from here and something from there. You mean cabinet members? What did I say? You I'm said sorry. you yeah, said government government, uh, and and I think sixteen deputy ministers or more. And this is uh, aside from being an employment program, it is it is set off a very contentious debate, not on the blue and white side where he is a. a, a given out his portfolios, but within the Likud. And you had some well-known 
veteran people like Tachyan Negbi and Dichter who didn't get anything and who stalked off and said, they, you know, they don't want anything to do with it. Um, we haven't heard that Barkat got something. Other people and others are unhappy with the uh, assignments they got, and things are being said about future assignments and what happens when the shift takes place and with Erdogan getting the U- U.S. and the U.N. positions, although the, the ambassador to the U.S. would only be for about a year because Dermer will stay till November, December, and then Gantz gets to a point that the ambassador, when he comes into power next November, and has already named who he, who he will appoint. Uh, do you think that someone has to step in and put an end to all this, uh, uh, all these positions that are either being filled and or created in order to satisfy people? Can the court step in? Can Israel uh, have a uh, have a, a proposal on one of their ballots to limit the number of cabinet members that there can be in a government? Do, do you think that something actually has to happen now to stem the tide going forward? Because if they're they're now at, at thirty six, you know they they could be at forty six in a week from now if they if they have uh, the ability to do whatever they want in this regard. Well, there are limits, and there was legislation of that kind, and their courts have ruled about. Uh, certain, you know, uh, trying to negate some of the moves in the past as well. There have been big governments of 30-plus in the past. The the problem now is that the Supreme Court's on notice that if they, in fact, interfere, if they disrupt the agreements and the uh, and that were revised in view of the previous Supreme Court hearing uh, to a week ago, um, that that this government could fall apart, and then they'll go to elections, which show that Netanyahu would win a much bigger margin, and perhaps form a government alone. So there's, it's nobody's incentivized right now to have an election, except for those who love following elections in Israel. Someone posted yesterday that they are now going to have to get used to the fact that there's no election uh, jockeying and uh, and uh, campaigning to follow uh, for about two years. Right? For about two years, we had we had campaigns, we had uh, negotiations, and we had the possibilities of formations of government. It's about it's almost two years, if I'm not mistaken, that this is going. Well, they on. can they can be reassured that an election <laughs> is coming. How soon it will be is the question. They may and have a small will break. Will the government go the full 18 months with Netanyahu and then switch? A lot of people are suspicious of that, whether the switch will take place. But there's an added incentive because after the 18 months of Gantz as prime minister, then Bibi gets it for six more months and Gantz gets it for six more months if the government goes full term. The average government lasts two and a half years. Unbelievable. What do you think of Rafi Peretz leaving Amina? Well, it was surprising because people thought others might uh, split with it, and there are some who feel that uh, they uh, Bennett and others overplayed their hand, others that it was never in the cards for them to get it. I think that Netanyahu wanted them at some point, although the relationship, as you know, has been tense at times, and Shaked uh, is quite popular, but they've decided to go into the opposition. So you have, just think about the opposition of Lieberman, the joint Arab list, the other half of blue and white, and Yamina. Right. Those meetings of the opposition are going to be very interesting. <laughs> they're not going <laughs> to compete as the leader. They're not going to accomplish the much. They're not going to accomplish much. I don't think. <laughs> uh, they might kill each other in meetings, but uh, it's, I don't see also how they can come up with common positions. And I'm trying to think if uh, if in other unity governments that type of thing has happened as drastically as this before. Where the opposition was the type of makeup you just described, I'd have to, I guess, go back to the uh, Rabin Paris arrangements and and see if that ever uh, 
if there ever yeah, was. Yeah, but then a... you had a, a big, you had Likud as the leader of the opposition. Right. Have, uh, Labor was the leader of the opposition when, when you know, Labor had the, uh, they only had two or three, you have two seats in the government because only two ministers moved over. I think they had three altogether and one didn't move into the coalition, so... Very strange. Very interesting. Uh, have they reopened the Ben Gurion Airport yet? They haven't fully reopened Ben Gurion. There aren't flights uh, coming in and out, and they're still wrestling with how you deal with the quarantining. You know, they've closed the hotels where people were being quarantined, and people are now being told they have to go home to to uh, for a two week period, and and they do monitor it. Um, but they're talking about a full reopening by June first. Is that possible? That's everything's possible. Yeah, they're moving quickly in Israel on the on the openings of businesses and other things. Like people I speak to tell me, it's starting to come back to normal. It's nowhere near what it was, and there are still people uh, staying home. Uh, but certain uh, less essential businesses are starting to open, and uh, you know they are they are moving ahead. And if you noticed, I think there were only uh, four or five new cases yesterday. Um, there are still a lot of cases that are open. They have about a 21, 21%, I think, have been fully recovered. Um, but, the, the, you know, their death rate is 1.5%, which is very low compared to the U.S. and other countries. Um, so they, you know, they, they took early steps. They, they did it well, and God willing, all the research is going to produce something. There are six Drugs under trial around the world that could be could be effective. It's funny on the restrictions is exactly the opposite of here. You know, the the, the quote unquote socialist country is uh, is opening up and uh, you know, in schools as you just said, and uh, and swimming pools and public facilities and restaurants are all opening by the end of the month. And here, you know, the the capitalist you know the country of democracy and freedom, uh, it's the biggest issue how things, according to many people, is just not opening quickly enough and giving people an opportunity to get back into business, to open their businesses, and with, you know, guidelines and restrictions to at least try to make a living. But it's it's, it's funny how but, it's... But like, Israel's under, you know, people are restricted, and you, but you see that they tend to follow rules more more closely with people wearing masks. Right. I ask friends in Israel, I speak to government officials, whether everybody's wearing masks around, and he said, the vast majority here, when I see people on the street and stuff, they're not wearing masks uh, in right. the same numbers anymore. That's and true. it's a mistake. They have to continue. If we want to avoid a second round or diminish a second round, then you have to. And Israel is preparing and anticipating that there could be a spike now after people now getting together more socially and being out, or uh, certainly in the September-October period, that there could be... Um, what they call the second round. It's interesting on the vaccine because there are officials here uh, who are who are warning us that you know don't don't think this is going to happen by the beginning of 2021. Sometimes these vaccines take a long time, but I I would think with the concerted effort from Israel and other places, uh, you know, and, and and with the with the uh, the the desperate the desperation that people are now researching and uh, and trying to develop a vaccine, if it's going to happen, I would think it would happen sooner rather than later, if in fact there, you know, there can be a vaccine. Well, they are fast-tracking, and the FDA is giving approvals, which would have taken very long time for those that are, are hopeful. And we're seeing some real progress on the stem cell treatment, which is for severe cases, but helps in respiratory cases. That's moving ahead in Israel very seriously. 
and we've seen all the different companies that are doing what's in it. One of the interesting things is that Iranian hackers have targeted companies that are, including Gilad Sciences, that are uh, working on developing uh, drugs. So it's almost as if they want to try and prevent it, although they're paying a very heavy price in, in Iran with the number of dead and supposedly an increase again. The the economy is in full fall because it started before with the fall of the price of oil and then exacerbated by um, the, all the reaction and then the impact, economic impact of, of the virus. Uh, that uh, you would think that they would do everything possible to make sure that there's a cure and that they would, um, you know, be be in the forefront of efforts to support that. They even said in some discussions, you know, that if the Zionist state comes up with it, some said we'll never take it, but others ruled that, yes, they could, um, they could in fact do it. But the tensions between Iran and the U.S., you know, they are playing their games there, um, doing uh, all sorts of things that, uh, you know, can both in the region and beyond the region, and the you know the debate is now raging, and this is a very important issue that the 13-year-old embargo on Iran's purchase of weapons, and these include is not buying peace shooters. You're talking about airplanes, tanks, other advanced equipment expires in October. The Russians said this week that they are going to close the door on any U.S. embargo or a veto uh, and would exercise a veto at the U.N. So the U.S. has to look now for other means. Even some of the Europeans don't want to see this expire. Uh, the, the Iranians are celebrating today Quds Day, which is always last Friday in Ramadan. And they, I mean, they didn't have the public manifestations this year, but they are continuing. And we see how the, the Financial Action Task Force taking action finally and, and raised the status of Iran from the gray list to the blacklist, which only has North Korea on it, to be subject to uh, sanctions. And, and um, Secretary Pompeo spoke about the aggressiveness and the attacks um, from Iran and, and the need to, to mobilize countries to join in the efforts to um, bypass the Russian and Chinese uh, th- uh, threatened vetoes. But if you see that they're uh, they, they now are rationing gasoline, uh, and they are making people use natural gas because they want to export the gas as much as possible. They sell it to they, – they just sent big shipments of oil yesterday to Venezuela. They also give to Syria on loan because they can't sell it. So they give their oil in order to reinforce their position uh, in Syria and elsewhere. But their economic conditions, it's, it's – I think the real is now 140,000 to the dollar, wow. even though the official rate is 42,000. And next year they lop off those four zeros. It's going to be devastating. And on top of that, I just looked because of what you said regarding their uh, the coronavirus situation, Iran. I just looked at their graph, and they're they're clearly in a in a rebound, mean, meaning a bad rebound. You know, going back up, the curve going back up. I don't know how their healthcare system there dealt with the uh, dealt with it the first time around. The numbers were astounding. And again, I know that not all this information is accurate because it's Iran, but still, just based on what I'm looking at, uh, the numbers were astounding. I don't know how their healthcare system could withstand uh, the numbers that they're suffering from now. They're not withstanding it. And, and as uh, we saw the pictures by satellite of mass graves, the numbers they're giving are clearly not true. Uh, but they don't stop their provocations, especially in, in, the, in the Gulf and, and in uh, Syria. And the reports of them withdrawing from Syria 
are not likely true. They may be repositioning, but we see that they're not going to give that up because it's key to their Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Mediterranean access, the Shiite crescent, and it's key for their efforts to, to be able to attack Israel from the Golan and to have the missiles there. As they, We know now that they are landing their planes at Russian Air Force Base near Latakia because Israel hit them on the Homs Air Force Base, and they know that they wouldn't attack the Russian base. And second, that, that they built an underground tunnel for the storage of the weapons and the missiles uh, that they're bringing in. Uh, Israel obviously knows about it. It's been made public that uh, they exist, but it's a reflection of the fact that they are investing and, and continue to provide Hezbollah, even that Hezbollah is stretched thinner uh, and having financial problems. But the U.S. is going to push for the snapback sanctions, and so far we have not seen the Europeans um, come to that. Um, but it's you know the U.S. is key in this in this fight. Unfortunately, we're not getting the support that we should. Wow. Um, back to Gilad Erdan for a moment. Has this ever been done before, where one person is representing Israel both in the U.S. and the U.N.? Oh, yeah. Abe Eben in 19... He had both? He had both at the same time? <laughs> yeah, but at that time, it was very different. I mean, the intensity of involvement wasn't the same. And now, the U.N., and especially given that the annexation issue is likely to come up and will be heavily debated. I mean, they're already condemning it at the U.N. Um, and by the way, Guterres at the U.N., the Secretary General, called this week for disarming Hezbollah. He was critical of some of the Israeli attacks over Lebanese soil, but was very critical in the first time that I know of where they made that kind of a demand. Um, he also condemned the hate speech in another uh, move, which... We criticize the U.N. all the time. When they do something good, we should be mocked of that, too. Right. But the, the, um, you know, the U.N. will obviously be battleground on, on the issue of annexation and other issues. Uh, so having somebody there full-time will be important. Erdogan is a very capable person. He's very smart. But in reality, it will be a maximum of a year that he'll hold both posts because, uh, as I said, Erdogan, um, the current ambassador, Dermer, will be here through December, November or December, and then the um, so he will talk, take over then, and the new ambassador gets appointed in uh, November. So for about a year, he'll have the job of both, and then otherwise he'll be at the UN. And Ambassador Danone leaves the UN when in the next yeah. few weeks. He, in the next month, yeah, yes, he he's going home. I guess during what, the summer. What do you think of the poll that? Um, and I guess they did this because of the. Um, uh, you know, commemorating the um, well, I forgot what they call it. You know, when they commemorate the terrible day of Israel's founding, Nakba Day. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the poll of Pal- that there that, that that there's overwhelming Palestinian support for a third intifada. There is, and uh, I mean, there are a lot of contradictory polls that that come out right now. Palestinians are frustrated because of the. You know the effect of and the economic isolation, the effect of the measures taken against the um, the virus. But these polls are pretty consistent. When we see that uh, two thirds generally will go back to violence, would would uh, call for things. But when uh, we look, at East Jerusalemites in the latest poll say they would prefer to be citizens of Palestinian state. Uh, those in, in in northern areas are saying they want to be part of Israel, like Umar Fahum, all these areas don't want to go to a Palestinian state. So there there are contradictory findings, and, 
and the discoveries. And the fact is that we see much greater integration. People noticed it because during the, the going into the hospitals, the pharmacies, everything where you see Israeli Arabs fully integrated. Uh, and in fact, playing, I think the majority of pharmacists in Israel are Israeli Arabs, especially women, that the, um, you know, there are contradictory trends, but, but the incitement, the continuing incitement, and now there's a big issue because, uh, again, the Israeli banks, Israel is pressuring banks not to give money and not to allow transactions for families of terrorists who are getting money from the Palestinian Authority. And the Palestinian Authority, despite the threats to cut off all the aid and everything else, is continuing and saying that they will continue. And what they've done is to remove the line from the monthly budget, which indicated how much they were giving to the pay-to-slave families, and and they've just integrated it into other ministries, so it's harder to track. But the percentage is still clear, and they keep defiantly announcing that they're going to continue to pay this money. Uh, the Pompeo visit, what can you tell us about his visit to Israel? Uh, he was there for a day. Uh, I don't think annexation um, occupied that much of the time. I think China was a much bigger issue because it is a very sensitive issue with the administration, with the president. And Israel has signed some deals with China, including the Haifa port. And this is uh, their U.S. has been warning them about it because they say you can't trust them and they, they will use it for intelligence and American ships, uh, military ships may not come there if you do it. So it's under review by Israel and it puts Israel in a very difficult dilemma because they have a lot of trade with China. You can't ignore it. It's a, it's a very important mark, it's, uh, especially for the high tech industry. There are a lot of close relationships. Interesting. And at the same time, they don't want to do anything that alienates. The U.S. Yeah, oh, I didn't realize there's that many things on the agenda. Um, this terrible episode with Amit Ben Yigal. Uh, not only uh, do we mourn the loss of the first soldier to be killed this year uh, in active duty, but in addition to that, uh, I'm sure you read that he was the only son of his father. He had half uh, siblings, but it was the only son of his father, and had needed special permission to go to the army. And I think that shed some light again on the sacrifice that uh, that soldiers. And uh, soldiers who are alone children and their parents uh, make in order for them to fulfill their dream of defending the state of Israel. And why, when Yom Atzmut was celebrated yesterday, it's May 14th, as you know, right. um, the people not take it for granted that we that we do celebrate, but and remember um, when we had uh, Yom Atzmut a couple of weeks ago and Yom Azikaron right before it. You know, 24,000 people gave their lives, more than 3,000 dead from terrorist attacks, that we not take it for granted, that we not take Israel for granted. The people now, I think for many people who have not been able to visit for so long or who had planned trips for now the summer and can't go, are beginning to realize that, you know, this is not just something you're not taking a taxi and going downtown. That this, what a privilege it is, what a schuss we have to have Israel to be able to go there to, to celebrate Yerushalayim. To look to Israel for the the cure for for the world's ills, and uh, and the sacrifice. You know, they say that that Yom, uh, Yom Hashoah reminds us of the price we pay for not having a state, and Yom Hazikaron reminds us the price we pay to have a state. Right. And that's I agree. This is a tragic case that he was killed uh, with a rock or brick. Uh, I watched some of the pictures of the movies of the Shiva. It was heartbreaking. And I think uh, 
you're absolutely right that people think about it as we look at the you know all the challenges around the world and the challenges to Israel we still see you know, what's going on in, in, uh, around Israel, but both in Gaza and in the north, and the attempts worldwide to, to blame Israel for the, and the rise of anti-Semitism and anti-Israelism, blaming both Jews and Israel for the, uh, for the virus and for all sorts of other manufactured uh, things. Yeah. But when Remember a, what life would be like. What, think about what life would be like if we didn't have it. And when a parent has to authorize... When a child wants to go into combat, mm-hmm. into a combat unit, it, it, it's a concept none of us can even wrap our heads around. And in Israel, it's all too common. And I would bet, in most cases, when that young man or woman is is begging their parents, I would bet they usually relent and, and sign that agreement. Well, they often leave it to the kids. I think that was the case here. Um, obviously, a father had to have reservations when yeah. it's an only son. That's the law in Israel. But he... And by all accounts, a very courageous and remarkable young man. Yeah, no question about it. What do you make of this this Jew list that was asked for in the city of Columbia, Ukraine? It shows that some things don't change, that the anti-Semitism in the Ukraine, to which so many tens of thousands, maybe more, go each year, Jews who go there each year for various celebrations to think about it. Mm. And um, we'll have to see how the government, uh, the government obviously has been acting. You have a president and prime minister who are Jewish and have been obviously sensitive to to anti-Semitic manifestations. But people don't know what goes on at a local level. We have Jews who are in prisons in several parts in, in Ukraine and efforts to, to secure their release when the charges are spurious uh, have not been successful. You don't read about those things. You read about the, you know, certain celebrations and events that take place there. But this is a, a, a very important part of the story as well. Wow. Uh, did they make it clear why they were asking for the list? Was it coronavirus related or they just, they just asked without an explanation? Yes. So uh, I, I do not know the reason if there is one. Um, yeah, but, and one other thing I read that the, uh, speaking of anti-Semitism, I didn't realize that actual anti-Semitic, uh, incidents in this country have gone up the way they have. And I thought, frankly, that with (laughs) coronavirus and there being more isolation, et cetera, that if anything, we'd see a downward trend. But as you told us, uh, over the last couple of weeks, that's not the case. And I didn't realize that the the numbers actually bear it out that, I mean, would we say it's it's the worst in decades now in the U.S. in terms of blatant anti-Semitic incidents? I think 2019 was more than the three decades before combined. Wow. That the and a lot of this is online. A lot of this is, but but people shouldn't dismiss it because it it, it, it is equally dangerous. And and when maybe COVID lifts, you know, we'll see more physical manifestations. But we're seeing them now. We've seen attacks on individuals. We've seen attacks on uh, synagogues and desecrations and cemeteries and. This is it is not abated that people continue to engage in these attacks. Obviously, during the shutdown, it was it was harder for them to carry it out. But anti-Semitism is uh, and if you is rife. And if you look at the statistics in places like Canada, I think there was a 27 percent increase in Germany, 17 percent increase. Um, but this is year after year. And remember, this it's been going up for the last couple of years. So this the statistics are, are of great concern about um uh, in, in globally and in the United States, um, but the uh, but there was also good news we should note, and that is that the Gallup poll shows 
that um, you know the youngest age groups tend to be the least supportive of Israel, but as those people get older, huh. yeah. um, and we know that, for instance, 18-year-olds in 1997, I think 36% supported Israel. Today, it's at 61%. And there is a consistent pattern that support for Israel ranges in the between 60-70%, and that is consistently, and it's happening now in the latest... Uh, in the latest poll as do you, well. Do you think it's because generally people, as they get older, become a little bit more conservative in their thinking and that would lean more toward Israel, or you don't think that has anything to do with it? Hopefully because they, because they become smarter <laughs> and more educated. And, and you know, young people rebel. Israel's a way of, of, because of the close relationship, if you want to express dissatisfaction with your own government or with others, you can do it by expressing it against Israel. We've had that in other countries as well. We've seen it. But when you look at, you know, people always focus on the divisions, but we had a resolution in Congress this week where 262 members of the House and I think 70 members in the Senate uh, came out against the politicization of the of the court and against the singling out of Israel and saying that they don't have jurisdiction. And last week we had 90% supporting extension of the arms embargo. So, you know, not everything is bleak and there is, they do come, are able to agree on certain things that are, are essential um, and that the American people essentially still remain supportive. Uh, and even where there's an increase in support for, let's say, the Palestinians, it doesn't necessarily mean a diminution in support for Israel. All right. Finally, Malcolm, as we mentioned, uh, next Friday, I'm Yerushalayim, then after that, Shavuot. That's why we're going to uh, not speak for a couple of weeks. Uh, do you remember where you were on the 28th of uh, of um, a Sivan back in 1967? Uh, 28th of ER back in 1967? Yes, I know. I was working very hard to get an aid package for Israel, and... Um, uh, I had taken off from graduate school and everything to work for three months before uh, the war, uh, and and I, I left the day after the war to Israel. Wow! And uh, was able to see things. I was in Sinai where you could still see the tanks smoldering, but I, I remember very well where I was and what I was doing. Um, but when that message came across, our bias be which those young people who today don't don't know what we're referring to, but I don't think anybody who was alive at that time doesn't get a chill and, and remember that incredible, incredible moment and the iconic picture that emerged from it. And uh, it's something we shouldn't take for granted. You mentioned moments ago about uh, not taking Israel for granted, the fact that we can visit and be in Jerusalem and continue to watch Jerusalem grow and uh, its communities grow, uh, and to be the center of the spiritual existence of the world at this point is pretty remarkable, and we shouldn't take that for granted as well. Absolutely, and also we passed this week uh, the Never Again Holocaust Education Act, which again, doesn't get much publicity when good things happen, but that was a, a very positive uh, development, something people have worked on for a long time, and um, congratulate the members of Congress. Congressman Maloney who played a, a very important role in this oh. for a long time. Glad to hear that. And the uh, sponsors uh, all deserve credit, and people should write them and thank them because it's uh, it gives several million dollars. And at a time when we see the increase in anti-Semitism, having more Holocaust education is um, you know is very important. I wish you a Chag Sameach and a Shabbat Shalom, and I thank you. And uh, we will speak in a couple of weeks. And you and everybody should stay safe. Amen they should that. be upbeat. 
should not try to rush things. We have to be very careful. Don't violate the rules. I know the temptations are very great, but the cost could be much greater. Listen to the Ramon and listen to everybody. And even though there were things sent out to alert synagogues how to reopen, you know, when the time comes, it's for when the time comes. Too many people are interpreting it as a license for now. It is not, and we are not over it, and we have to be very careful for the our own health, the health of our communities, which have suffered so much. So please, I urge everybody to be careful, be safe, and be smart. Well said and much appreciated. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, right here at JM in the AM. Reminder, one week from today, our Yom Yerushalayim special. Around this time next week, we'll be... Uh, starting to present the uh, sounds of 1967. Don't miss it. Two weeks from today is the holiday of Shavuot. So our next uh, weekly update will be, please God, on the 5th of June, the 5th of June, that Friday morning. This time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomay Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshios, Bahar and Bechukosai. We finish Sefer Vayikra. It is Shabbos Chazak. According to the Chinuch, there are, between the two Parshios, a total of 36 mitzvos. The breakdown is that Bahar and Bechukosai together have 14 positive mitzvos, and together they have 22 restrictions for a total of 36 mitzvos this coming Shabbos. And the Gemara at the end of Megillah teaches us that we read annually on before Shavuos the brachos and klolos the Tochacha, as found in Parshas Bechukosai, because it's a reminder to us of the need for us to do tshuva, because Shavuos is a time of judgment. The Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah, Tezayin Amaralev, 16a, teaches that at four different times during the year the world is judged on Pesach regarding the grain, on Shavuos regarding Peros or Elon, on Rosh Hashanah we are judged mankind, and finally on Sukkos we're judged regarding the rainfall for the forthcoming year. And the Gemara at the bottom of that daf teaches us that it is for this reason that we bring an Omer on Pesach in order that the grain should be blessed. We bring the Shtehalechem, the two loaves, on Shavuos so that the Perosa Elon should be blessed. We blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah in order to arouse Hashem's mercy on our behalf. And finally, we, on Sukkos, we have the Nisoch Hamayim, we have 
the pouring of the water on the Mizbeach in order that we should be blessed with the proper rainfall for the forthcoming year. So this Shabbos is a very special Shabbos. And while we are still not yet within our base HaKnesses, I hope you are reading the parsha at home, pining, anticipating for when we will come back in the proper time, as soon as we get the, quote, all clear from our Rabbanim, who are who deserve such a yashakoach for having the courage. It's so easy to say, sure, because we want and we need tefillah b'tzibur. But we recognize that there is that incredible responsibility for ourselves, for our community, that we stay healthy, that, as the Gemara teaches at the end of Yuma, that when we quote, violate, which it's not really a violation of Shabbos, just the opposite. Because we have such a high regard for human life that we put certain factors aside, including, God forbid, if there is a threat to a person's life, Shmira Shabbos, we don't say wait until after Shabbos to call the ambulance. You call on Shabbos, etc. Here too, Yashakoa Godo for the Rabbanim who are really concerned not only about our Ruchnius but about our Gashmius as well. We find at the beginning of Parshas Bahar the mitzvos of Shemitah and Yovel. Succinctly put, the Torah says that, as it says at the end of the parish as well, these laws apply only to the land of Israel. The land of Israel is not yours. Of course, it was given to the Jewish people as its nachala, as its special land to perform God's mitzvot. But this is God's land, Kiliyahores. The land belongs to me. And therefore, if you want to know, among the many, many proofs that the Torah is divine, no government in the world could ever say to its farmers, take the year off, and don't worry, we'll provide for you. And here, which year? Unlike other lands which have crop rotation, you work a land a year, and then you let it lay fallow for the land. Here, the Torah says, work the land for six years straight. You would imagine at the end of that sixth year, what are you going to get? Just about nothing. And now the Torah says, don't plant in the seventh year, and you're not going to plant until the beginning of the eighth. Ay, ay, ay. So who is going to provide for us? So Hashem says so powerfully, I will take care of it. I will command. I'm in charge. And this is what Shemitah is teaching us. Incredible faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And, unfortunately, as we see from Parshas Bechu Kosai, when we did not observe the laws of Shemitah, Hashem said, you will be exiled from your land. And, quote, willy-nilly, one way or another, the land will get what's coming to it, it's rest. When you are out of the land, the land will 
get the rest that's coming to it. So, the Torah says that you work the land for six, and you have a year of Shemitah, a year where we abstain from working the land. And as the Torah says, that oretz, the land shall be Shabbos Lashem, literally a Shabbos unto God. Now what does that mean? So the Sapurno, and I quote, Shatia kol hashana habatola me'avoda so This seventh year, when you are desisting and stopping your working of the ground of the earth, so what is it? It is a sabbatical, as you're going to hear in a moment. It should be muchanas lavudaso. It is set aside to serve Him. Now, whereas, forgive me, in the secular world, who was given a year's sabbatical? Oh, a full professor. And he has to be there X number of years. By us, we had it first. Who was given a year's sabbatical? Every Jewish farmer. Every Jewish farmer is looked upon as, quote, a full professor. What does that mean? Yes, you too are given a year off quote, for research. What does that mean? You too go to the base medrash. You too study Torah on your level. And take a look. The Sapurno goes on and he says, Kimo Shekivein B'Shabbos Bereshis, just as every Shabbos is to be a day set apart for Ruchnius, for spirituality. And as the Yushalmi says, that Bikoshi what does that mean? I'm taking a walk on Shabbos, and I meet somebody, and I'm going to greet them heartily, wish them good Shabbos, how are you? The Yushami says, sure we do this, because that's the proper thing to do, especially today if I'm, quote, socially properly distanced. But the bottom line is, really, I do it because we don't want to insult the next person. What does that mean? It means, ideally, this is a day for, quote, spirituality, Shabbos. And as Shabbos, Lashem, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, that Shabbos, which is coming, please God, tonight, tomorrow, is a Shabbos for Hashem, so too is the seventh year. Then the Torah introduces us to the laws of Yovel. And Yovel basically is, we count, the Torah says, seven Shemitah, which gives us 49 years, and then, ta ta the 50th year is Yovel. Now, the Yovel requires that three factors are done and mitzvot's conjunction with the 50th year. One, the Torah tells us that that the Evid Ivri, who has been with you, Till Yovel, the one who we learned in Parshas Mishpatim, that stayed on after six years and says, I want to stay with my master. And Va'avodol Olam, the Torah says, he serves the master forever. The Torah Shabal Peh teaches us, as Rashi cites on the spot, Yovel. At Yovel, the Jubilee year, the Torah says that all Evidivri go free. That's number one. Number two, Vishavtem Ishalachuzaso, 
the land returns to the original owner. When the land was divided, when Yoshua brought the people into Eretz Yisrael and the land was divided among tribes and families, etc., if somebody had to sell their land, that land goes back to the original owner. And finally, there is the blowing of the shofar on the Yovel year, which on the 50th year, on Yom HaKippurim, something which we only have a zecher to this, namely that after Yom Kippur, we know that we blow the shofar for many different reasons. And one of the reasons that we blow the shofar is to remind us that, yes, yes, it's coming. The day is going to come without going to blow the shofar, not once on Yom Kippur, but just as we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah for Malchios, Zechronos, and Shofros, so too we're going to blow this on Yom Kippur. Now, interestingly, whereas on Rosh Hashanah we come to Shul and one per- person blows the shofar for all of us, on Yom Kippur there's a mitzvah for each individual to blow the shofar, even on Shabbos, if Yovel Yom Kippur should fall on a Shabbos. However, one very, very important point, which the Mesha Chachma points out, which I want to share with you, and that is as follows, that whereas Shabbos is Kviyah Vakaima, what does that mean? Tonight we're going to make Kiddush, Baruch Hashem, Mikadesh HaShabbos. Shabbos has been sanctified by Hashem. When we are privileged to make Kiddush tonight, what Hashem is saying is, I'd like you to second my motion. I'd like you to honor me by seconding my motion, by you too having an opportunity to sanctify the Shabbos. But Shabbos has already been sanctified from the time of creation. Not so Yom Tov. As we've pointed out on many occasions, on Yom Tov, it's Mekadesh, as we're going to say, please God, oh, two weeks from tonight, when it's going to be the second night of Shavuos, Mikadesh HaShabbos, good, and then Yisrael Vahazmanim, because it's the Jewish people that sanctify the time. It's the Bezdin that declares when Rosh Chodesh is, and based upon the declaration of the Bezdin by Am Yisrael, that's when the Yomim Tovim are. Having said that, the Meshachachma teaches us a very important point, and he quotes from the, uh, the Rambam, in Hilchos um, Shemitah V'yovel, in Perik Yud, Halacha Yud Gimel, that if the Jewish people do not live up to their responsibility and, one, free the slaves, two, um, return the land, three, blow the shofar, it's not Yovel. What does that mean? That whereas Shabbos is and Shemitah come by themselves. Every seventh year is Shemitah without the Bezdin, without the Sanhedrin declaring it. Not so Yovel. The Yovel has to be that it is V'kidash Tem Mishim It's only after you've done these three prerequisites that the Torah then says in Pasuk Yor Aleph, after the Torah listing in 9 and 10, that what you have to do, then Yovel He Mishim a very, very interesting idea that Shabbos, Shemitah is one category that comes automatically by itself because Hashem endowed it with sanctity and Yovel and Yom Tov are made by man. Okay, 
Now let's try to understand how this is going to help us prepare for the Yom Tov of Shavuos Habalenu Litova. So it's obvious that you count 49 years and the 15th year is Yovel, and we count every year 49 days and the 50th day is Shavuos. But beyond that, I'd like to share with you a very interesting Tikkun Zohar, and while I'm not into the Tikkun Zohar that much yet, I can only tell you in keeping with this past Tuesday, which was Lag Omer. so in honor of <clears throat> Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, I'm going to read to you from there is a Tikkun Zohar accompanying each of the three meals on Shabbos, and accompanying the Shabbos meal says the Tikkun Zohar, Tochazi, take a look, he points out, Bikulushar Zimdim Vechagim, when it comes to the Yom Tov, Bo'i Barnash, each individual is obligated, Lemechte, and to rejoice, Ulemechte Lemiskene, and to invite others. Invite the poor, invite the needy, invite the widow, invite the orphan. Like the Torah says at the end of Parshas Re'eh, Hashem says, you take care of my four, I'll take care of your four. And this is found in the Kriyas Torah for, uh, for the second day of Shavuos. And the Torah says in the paragraph of Shavuos, V'somachto lefnei Hashem alukecha, ato ubincha, your four, and the Levi, the Ger, the Yosem, the Almana, and Rashi says, you take care of mine, I'll take care of yours. So on Yom Tov, there's an obligation. And if the Zohar continues, if you celebrate on Yom Tov by yourself, and you don't bring the others into your table, ay, ay, ay. then he quotes the Pasuk from Malachi, Perik Bez, Pasuk Gimel, Verzeresi, Peresh al Peresh Chagechem. Namely, I'm going to literally, Hashem says, show my disdain for you, and I will scatter filth upon your face, filth of your festive offerings. And he goes on to say that it's only perish chagechem and not by Shabbos. Why? Because Shabbos, you can be by yourself. It's nice to have guests on Shabbos, but there isn't that obligation. Shabbos is each person perfecting themselves, but Yom Tov, we enter another realm. Yom Tov, we have the realm of the communal. So what does that mean? That where when we are find ourselves each one today in our respective quote quarantine still. So what are we doing? Each one is working on ourselves, and each one takes that quality that we are working on, and we bring it together. Because on Shvuos we all come together. But how do we do so? As it's, as we're going to read, please God, on first day of Shvuos. The introduction to Kriyasa to to the Aseros Adivros, Vayichan Shom Yisrael, Negedahar, the entire Israel encamped as one 
in the singular Vayicham, we need each other. We need each other for Kabbalah Satora. No one Jew can do the whole Torah. If you're a Kohen, then you're not a Levi. If you're Israel, you're not a Kohen or a Levi. And there are separate mitzvahs for each. And guess what? You're not the king of Israel. And you're not a member of the Sanhedrin. And you're not a woman. So no one person can do it all. But guess what? Together. Ah. Oh, so each one should feel today and going into Shabbos, look inside themselves. And this is the most personal question you have to ask yourself. What are you? What are you? What are you working on? Each one has to work on something for themselves. And then each one brings their polished neshama to Kabbalah Satora. And together we're going to have, in Hashem, a very special communal Kabbalah Satora. Shabbat Shalom. To all. J.M. and the A.M. and my thanks to Rabbi Yudin, of course. Candlelighting at 746 on this era of Shabbos Parshas Bahar and Bechukosai. Our 10th Shabbat in a row that we are not in synagogue. Um, instead of um, adhering to the custom and the tradition, and I guess to an extent the halacha, of um, being together and davening as a tzibor, we are adhering to the Torah obligation of protecting our lives and essentially the lives of all of us. Tenth Shabbat in a row that we are not in synagogue. As depressing as it is, we should say it with pride because we are following the guidelines of our great rabbinic leaders and our health experts, which is a Torah requirement, as our rabbis continue to remind us. We promised you a COVID-19 update with Dr. Dietrich. He's with us live via telephone, the great doctor, the uh, great uh, pediatrician, the wonderful author, Dr. Stuart Dietrich, with us live via telephone. Dr. Dietrich, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Malcolm. Good morning. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. Thought we'd start with uh, some good news. What's the experience like when you get to... Um, when you get to um, uh, be there when a patient who has survived a tough episode of COVID-19 is released from the hospital. It's laboratory. You know, I think most hospitals in the New York area, uh, I can't speak for all I can speak, uh, for instance, at Maimonides, when a COVID patient is discharged, uh, there's a song that comes over the airways of the CA system. Every staff member knows what that song means. It means another COVID patient is being discharged. Uh, yesterday, I was on the ward uh, when I was speaking to one of the uh, physicians on one of the recovery wards, uh, you know, that for the COVID patients. And uh, he, he was actually the ward that one of my patients was discharged from two days ago, the young lady with Down syndrome. Uh, and uh, he was celebrating, telling me that they, what we call, decannulated two patients with tracheotomies, meaning they were able to get the trach tube out, which was the transition to recovery. And I have to tell you, when you see physicians and nurses celebrating decannulation, you know you're in the right times because uh, never before in history has staff celebrated decannulating patients, you know, getting traits out in, in a communal way. So that's what it's like when uh, those patients go home or even improve. There's huge celebration and pride within the hospital when that happens. You, um, you visit more than one hospital in the New York area on a regular basis. Uh we know that the the peak and the uh, uh, this curve up really started to go up in 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 the in the March twenties. Let's put it that way. Would you say the hospitals are now 
in that type of environment, the way it was at the end of March? Would you say it's more like February? How would you describe where the hospitals are at right now? So currently, you know, I only go to one regularly right now. However, I will tell you, I speak to hospitals in the city every day. Uh, I have patient families who are there and different community members who contact me, you know, to try to glean information or get advice on, you know, new things that are coming up. I will tell you what, what the hospitals look like. Thank God the census counts overall, the number of patients in every hospital is down dramatically from what it was even five weeks ago. Wow. Uh, the the issue is that most of the patients who are still COVID recovery patients are still very sick. Uh, many of them are currently critical still, uh, and many of them are transitioning to other levels of care, meaning they need either rehab facilities or they need respiratory facilities to continue their respiratory care. So the hospitals are uh, there. You will see open beds everywhere around certain floors in the hospitals. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the ICU level floors, the floors are still full uh, with patients because either uh, we have new smaller number of new cases trickling in, thank God, much smaller, uh, or uh, the, the, oh, the long term transition COVID patients are not able to be moved anywhere currently. Uh, there's not a lot of place to put them right now. I know that you give us unlimited time with these updates, and I appreciate that, and we'll try to get to everything. But I think we need to start in terms of what's happening medically, uh, especially with your expertise in the uh, field of pediatrics, with the children. If you, if you believe the media, and we know sometimes they could be a bit alarmist, that's after all what sells them and uh, what creates their ratings, uh, but if you believe them, that they are really focused on the, uh, n on the cases that are now involving children. Can you safely say that those are still few and far between? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, for the first time in my career, I think the media is actually correct on this one. Wow. Uh, you know, I think the media does overblow things in general. The issue, the reason the media is getting those cues is because it's coming not only from the local health departments here in New York City and New York State, but it's also now coming from the CDC as the data comes in from all over the world. What we do know is that children in at least in rare cases uh, can develop that uh, the complication, uh, the inflammatory complication of that's similar to Kawasaki disease or toxic shock syndrome. Uh, in New York State, for instance, as of yesterday, I believe the count was about 106 documented cases. Uh, there have been four, three to four fatalities. Uh, we don't know the exact number yet. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that's a high fatality rate for that complication. That being said, it's still considered a very, very rare complication, and most pediatricians have never seen it yet, thank God, uh, because of the rarity of it. So parents should not be panicked by this complication at all, including my own parents in the practice that I reinforce this to consistently. What I do have a concern about, and this is something that's being discussed at the highest levels of um, the agencies that monitor these things, is that children have been separated now for nine, ten weeks, uh, which means they're not together uh, in school or daycare, which means they're having less of every infection. Right. Uh, for instance, uh, we're not seeing strep throats in our practice for the most part. We're not seeing adenovirus or croup that we often see in the spring and summer months. So children, we're seeing less infections across the board, my fear is that when we put children back together in big groups shortly, if we can, 
that we will see more COVID in children, and thus we'll see more of this complication rate in children. So that's the fear that I have. Um, I don't know how to assuage that fear until we get data on it as we release mitigation throughout the country. New York State is not ready to release mitigation, or New York City certainly is not. Certain parts of the state are where they have minimal cases. But New York City is not ready to release mitigation, so we won't have that data yet. But based on experience in other parts of the country where they are releasing mitigation, we hope to be able to detect whether children are being affected by this in larger numbers. Right now, it's a rare complication, and right now, parents need not worry about it. But if they see these signs in their children, if they're seeing conjunctivitis, red tongue, red lips, an unusual rash, large lymph nodes around the neck, abdominal pain, those are the things they need to call their pediatrician about so the child can be worked up correctly. Dr. Stuart Ditchick is with us talking about COVID-19, of course. Um, the whole country is talking about testing. It's a big, big topic. You've been quoted as having said uh, that uh, that testing for COVID uh, has a 30% um, a false negative rate. Would you say that's across the board or any tests more reliable than others? No, it's not across the board. It, it really varies in, in many ways. It varies with the type of test you're doing, whether they're the rapid tests or the more accurate tests that the hospitals are doing. Uh, it varies with the degree of severity of illness of the patient. It varies what stage the patient is in. Some of the centers have reported false negative rates of 30% with COVID swabs. I have a father in the practice that we tested this week who certainly had every uh, significant sign of COVID, loss of taste, loss of smell, uh, and he swabbed negative so far. We're probably going to re-swab him again. Uh, there have been many reports throughout the country of people who swapped three, four times until they converted to positive. So just like we don't understand everything about the conversion to negative, we, we right now, there's a lot of testing flat platforms going on throughout the country. So we don't know yet completely what the cross-the-board false negative rate is. What we do know, and we're seeing this in the hospitals, is that the critically ill patients can remain positive for many, many weeks. Uh, we've all seen patients remain COVID positive by swabs for six or up to eight weeks in some cases. But we also know that those swabs that reflect that are probably just reflecting residual virus uh, mm. and not true infection. So COVID can stick around by, by detection for many weeks, but we don't believe that those patients are still contagious, although we treat them as such because we don't want to risk it. So yeah, there is a significant false negative rate. And that's why if you have symptoms consistent with COVID, that all the classical symptoms, you should assume you have it and isolate and quarantine. That way you don't infect somebody else accidentally. Is there any more research regarding whether uh, someone is immune if they've had it already? So the, the, that data is really uh, completely not ready for prime time yet. Uh, Mount Sinai put out some very good data about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, from their plasma antibody retrieval program showing that people who were positive by testing made a significant amount of antibodies. People who suspected they had it but weren't confirmed by testing didn't make uh, as many antibodies or as frequently. What we do know is that right now we're looking, and, and many of the centers are looking at follow-up antibody testing on people who, who were screened for antibodies over the last many weeks, and there is some early suspicion that uh, these patients can lose 
many uh, of the antibodies, the IgG antibodies, over a period of three, four weeks. What we do, uh, for instance, people who donate plasma, you'll hear about this from people who've gone to donate plasma. Many of you were told, yeah, you have enough antibodies to donate, please come and donate. Two, three weeks later, when you go to donate, they recheck your antibody level, and at least in some cases, people have been told you no longer have enough antibody for donation. Not in all, but in some. So the fear is that this is really a short-term immunity. However, the good news is there are memory cells in our immune system that remember this virus and probably uh, continue to protect us somewhat. The important message is that people should not be relying on the antibody test being currently used all over New York by different clinics and clinicians as an immunity passport. Nobody, no expert has said that. Dr. Fauci has spoken about this uh, in great detail, as has as every expert in the country. We don't currently have an immunity test for COVID. We have an antibody test for COVID, which is being used to study the disease and the recovery. But it is not yet an immunity test and should not be used as such. Lamisa, as we say in the vernacular, are the plasma donations helping patients recover? Dramatically, yes. I, I think we should be very proud as a community that the Jewish community has donated more plasma than any community in the world. And that is a huge Kiddush Hashem, which I am so proud of as, as being a member of that community. So I unfortunately have not donated. I'm not able to yet. I don't have antibodies yet, but if I did, I would donate. And it is helping patients. Do we know the data on plasma donation, whether those patients are recovering at a greater rate? No, we don't have that data yet, but it's building and growing. And I think until we know otherwise, we should be donating plasma. But you've uh, you've seen patients who've had that transfusion or infusion, and they have done well in recovering. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I've seen both. I've seen those that have done well, and I've seen those that have, you know, not recovered. So it really depends very much likely on what stage of the course you give it, whether it's given early, whether it's given late. That There's studies going on uh, throughout the world right now on when to give plasma. But this is not a new thing. We've been giving plasma antibodies for many diseases throughout uh, many, many years. It's only new for COVID. Right. So we, we know that it's an established therapy. The question is, is it saving COVID patients? And I think right now we should assume it is, but, but we need data to confirm that. Doctors never assume you treat based on data, not based on assumption. Dr. Dietrich, we've heard a lot about treatments and uh, the hydrochloroquine and all that. Now, yesterday, uh, I, I heard about this combination that people are recommending of remdesivir and some type of antibiotic. What do you think of that cocktail? That's also a new, uh, I, don't, I don't know about the specific study right now, but I will tell you this, there's there's a huge number of clinical trials going on with drugs, with stem cells, uh, with all kinds of modalities, infusion, plasma infusion antibodies, monoclonal antibodies. I mean, I can go on and on down the line. I will tell you one thing. Um, there's over the Millikan uh, Foundation, I think, recently published, and they update it daily. I believe there's over 320 trials going on with different therapies right now worldwide, and that's a large number. Um, the FDA is being overwhelmed with, you know, new proposals now every day for different combinations of drugs. Remdesivir was the only one and is the only one that's been approved by the FDA. So you're going to find now that people will, doing, will be doing combination studies to see if we can add drugs to remdesivir uh, to make it a more potent therapy. Uh, I'll tell you what's pretty exciting from my perspective, and I've seen this 
I've been following the data and the task force, uh, the research uh, independent task force that I've been working with, uh, we actually meet once a week by Zoom and we discuss different therapies that we're trying to whittle down what's working and what's not. These are experts from all over the country. Uh, we're not allowed to discuss publicly, you know, yet what we, you know, what we're looking at, but we are looking at a large range, wide range of therapies. What the, we haven't looked at yet, but I hope we will in the future, and all centers are looking at this right now, is the mesenchymal stem cell uh, therapies. Uh, those are the ones that you heard about initially from Israel. Right. Uh, these are very, very uh, important, uh, immature uh, fetal-type cells that can be found in different parts of the human body, and they actually do two things, uh, three things, which make it important for COVID recovery. Uh, they uh, make the immune system work better to kill viruses. They make the immune system work less so we don't harm ourselves while we're trying to kill the virus. Those are those cytokine storms. And most importantly, stem cells have a reparative effect. They can repair human tissue at the site of damage. So there's a belief that mesenchymal stem cells can be infused into patients, help the immune response, kill virus, not harm themselves, not have the human being harm themselves with their own immune response, and at the same time repair areas of the lungs which have been damaged by this horrible virus. So I think mesenchymal stem cells are going to be looked at closely in the next six months throughout the world, uh, and I'm, I'm a little, at least a little optimistic that it's a better therapy, and hopefully we'll be able to get a better cure for this. Uh, well, then you know my next question because we are a very impatient people, and I mean human beings, not necessarily people in the Jewish community. Uh, I think people are starting to uh, have a reality check and are starting to own up to the fact that we may have a very difficult year ahead, meaning Purim to Purim, and that you know every holiday and every event that we either planned or that's normally on the calendar this time around is going to be very different uh, because you just said months. You said that you know down the road it could be a while before these therapies are available or a vaccine is, uh, is actually one that's uh, considered uh, successful. Uh, with that in mind, are you willing to discuss in May of 2020 some type of timetable? Wow. <laughs> now you're asking me to put on a Navi hat, which yes. I don't own. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I barely own any hat. <laughs> but let me just, let me tell you that the great news, in my view, and I, I want people to be re reassured by this, the greatest minds in the world are working on solutions for this problem, not only in the United States, but worldwide. There has never been a, an effort worldwide like what's going on with COVID right now. Yes, it comes out of fear. Yes, it comes out of experience that we've lost so many. Uh, but I want you to know that this effort now to get things right is really dramatic and from a physician perspective exciting because even the vaccine, which is our only true way out of this right now, uh, they are fast-tracking this vaccine development to a point that no, no research has ever, ever experienced before. Uh, now, they have the benefit that this virus was very similar to the SARS virus where they were developing previous vaccines, so they were able to jumpstart the research by many years. However, when the vaccine becomes available, and I am confident that there will be a winner in the vaccine world by November, hopefully, maybe December or January, life will get much, much better because we'll have some protection, not full protection, but some protection from COVID. The other good news is that as 
we get used to living with this virus, our bodies will become more immune to it just by being around it naturally, as happens with all viruses in nature uh, or in, in society. So uh, the good news is that vaccine is on the way. But we need something else to make society livable right now, which you hear the experts talking about. Most people don't understand what it means. We need the ability to test on at point of service, means at wherever the patient's being seen, whether it's a doctor's office or emergency room, uh, we need the ability to test uh, for positives to isolate that person for the period of time that's reasonable for them to recover and not infect others. And we need the ability uh, to trace or contact tra track their contacts. In other words, everybody uh, Joseph was exposed to uh, in a close fashion needs to be quarantined for 14 days so they don't spread it to others when they get sick. Okay. Those three elements we don't have yet in the United States. They do have it in Israel. They do have it in South Korea. They do have it in Singapore. Certain countries have started it. We're not there yet, and that's why we need to be there to safely put societies back together where we've been seriously affected, like New York and New Jersey. That's the key issue. One of the biggest issues we're going to have to face as a community very shortly is when we do test positive, when society gets back to normal, we have to be forthcoming with those who are tasked with tracing uh, all the contacts, in other words, to put people in isolation so they don't infect others. I do have a fear within our communities because of the reactions to date, because people are upset about being quarantined or, or not being able to do what they want to do, that they may not be forthcoming in all cases to the contact tracers. And I have a fear of that in our communities, and I think we need to address it I think the Rabbanim need to address this urgently uh, in order to tell people it is halakhically forbidden to not be forthcoming about who you are in contact with. And that could occur in shuls potentially in the near future, and people will have to be honest about it, because if they're not honest about it, they may seriously harm somebody close to them or not close to them. Speaking of rabbinic intervention, do you fear that because there is a segment of our community that has been active in the anti-vaxxing um, uh, campaign that once this vaccine is available, they may become even more vocal, causing much more trouble, I believe, in general society and the media than, than the times we had it with, uh, with measles and other vaccines. Yes. No, I was actually, I had a very uncomfortable interaction with an anti-vaxxer yesterday. I they pop up on the social media where I try to educate communities uh, recently. But I, I, I have to tell you, has always been my policy, I don't debate anti-vaxxers because I think this is absolute counter to science. These are not people who are based in reality. But right. the anti-vax community, now that the shock is over, they, if you look at their social media pages, and we do look at them frequently, uh, and I've discussed these even with health department officials recently, they are gearing up a major campaign. Uh, I'll tell you what's out there already, which is fascinating. I was confronted with this uh, two days ago. Uh, one of the anti-vaxxers actually accosted me out on the street uh, and uh, started yelling that the doctors have created a fake pandemic uh, oh. in order to get more vaccines into our communities to kill children. Those were the words that person used, uh, if you can believe that. So the answer is, these are not people based on reality. What I will tell you, and I can guarantee this to everybody on the air, New York City will not allow a single child into the school systems 
who is not only fully vaccinated for everything, but specifically for COVID and for flu during the coming season when the COVID vaccine becomes available. They will not allow it. There will be zero tolerance for any child in New York City, and I believe New York State as well, for any child to enter the school system without a COVID and a flu vaccine. And I want the anti-vax community to hear that clearly. Your children will not be allowed into schools. Uh, Number two, uh, we have to be very sure to police ourselves that there's no falsified vaccine records out there, which we did experience during the measles crisis uh, last year or two years ago. What happens Uh, happens to a doctor who signs falsified vaccine records? If that doctor is caught, they will lose their medical license very quickly. Uh, There's a process whereby they'll lose their license. They'll have a professional misconduct complaint referred to the state. The state uh, education department will then have a series of hearings. And in all likelihood, any doctor who has proven to falsify a vaccine record will lose their medical license. And it's potentially a felony because those records are transmitted electronically very often. And they're they're taking a bigger risk in this case because of the attention that COVID-19 is getting. Correct. And right now, I can tell you the tolerance of the local uh, and state health departments for any activity that's counter to public health is very serious. They are not playing, and they are correct about that. COVID can kill. COVID in combination with flu can kill more, and we cannot allow any wiggle room for this to spread because of the anti-vaccine community. Finally, Dr. Dietrich, uh, you know what the last topic is. Uh, Unlike our uh, colleagues and your colleagues, frankly, in Israel, uh, where they are able at this point to make certain accommodations to uh, pray outdoors, are you still uh, firmly recommending that no minyanim take place tonight, tomorrow, or any time in the near future in the New York, New Jersey area? Absolutely. Without equivocation, that is 100% true as 99% of physicians I have spoken to have agreed with that. Uh, There are rare physicians who will make accommodation. I will not, neither will the ones that I'm speaking to. And 99% of rabbis. Dr. Dietrich and 99% of rabbis have agreed as well. Correct, correct. I have rabbanim have come. Now, I want you to know the Sephardic rabbis of Brooklyn and Deal, along with the doctors of our community, uh, have put together, there's going to be a letter uh, they asked me to edit. I actually held the conference call with one other doctor, Dr. Danny Madelon, who is representative of the Spartac community and many of the Spartac rabbinical leaders, and they are putting out a letter in the next 24 hours specifically outlining no minyanim in synagogues, private homes, or outdoors because of the continued risk. Uh, we released data yesterday from the National Institute of Health on people who speak loudly transmit thousands of COVID particles that get suspended in the air. That includes when you're in a minion. If you, you know, say uh, any response loudly, you will now transmit co- or uh, COVID particles will leave your mouth. Uh, there are obviously those who say, yeah, but we can handle that with masks. Well, let me tell you something. As I told the rabbis, in the best scenario in the hospitals of COVID units, where doctors and nurses are dressed in full PPE with goggles, shields, gowns, gloves, masks, doctors and nurses have still gotten sick from COVID, infected in the hospital with the best protection. So how these minyanim can guarantee no cross-infection in a minion when we can't guarantee it in any emergency room or ICU in the country, I don't understand. 
So there should be no, we are starving this virus right now. The virus is starving because it needs the human lung to live. If we continue to starve this virus, we're going to win. If we feed the virus by now loosening restrictions before we're able to, we're going to feed this virus and we're going to lose big. Amazing the way you present that, and I appreciate it so much. Dr. Stuart Ditchick, of course, COVID-19 update. You heard what he had to say about tonight and tomorrow. Stay out of shul, stay out of indoor minyanim, and yes, even stay out of outdoor minyanim that are taking place. And he's explained exactly why, and it makes a lot of sense. And by the way, Dr. Dietrich, I'll have to, I want to add one other thing, because you mentioned uh, people with proper PPE uh, and, and over-the-board PPE um, uh, you know, still have gotten sick, and you described, of course, the hospital scenario. We know our people, and we know human beings. You put together a minion, even outdoors, and you think that no one is going to eventually, within minutes, be standing next to you and speaking to you, even about something to do with the davening, even about you know who's going to daven shachar. It's anything. If you think that's the case, you're you're completely you're you're completely misguided because we know what happens. We know that in a social atmosphere, even one in which you're trying your hardest to stay away from people and not speak directly to people, etc., because of habit, it's going to happen, and usually within minutes, not even hours later. Correct. And the more people that show, the more people it will happen with. And multiply. By the way, Dr. Fauci mentioned this on the Zoom conference at the OU. Uh, he's not Jewish, but he knows we have DNA. He said specifically, it is part of the Jewish people to be close to each other. Right. Those were his words. Exactly. Why, why does Dr. Fauci, who, who is not Jewish, understand that issue better than we do. I think we should ask ourselves that question. I think the answer is because he grew up in Brooklyn. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> and he's got the Brooklyn accent. Yeah, but you're 100% you're right. He, he hops the whole thing. He understands why families should just stay in their homes and, right. and enjoy Kabbalah Shabbos tonight with their children. And, 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 and tomorrow, read the two partios at home. The way, the, way, the way our Torah, I don't know if you saw the letter, signed by uh, Torah giants uh, from this area um, uh, on behalf of Hatzalah. But, but we're talking about the, the, the most respected names, the people who, frankly, people in our community run to for sometimes, I dare say, the silliest of questions, uh, or at least that appear to be. I, I want to be careful the way I say that because to, to people, obviously, in, in a situation, it's not a silly question. But to us, it would appear to be a question not even needed to be asked. And they, and they rightfully are listening to every word that that Gadol Batorah, that that great Torah giant responds to them with. But when it comes to this, when the Gadol Batorah says, stay home, for some reason they're not willing to listen. It's amazing. It's a fascinating phenomenon. And honestly, I think the only mistake we made in the medical community at the outset of this is we should have been, uh, while protecting patients' privacy somehow, we should have been showing people what COVID units look like at the peak of the uh, of the event, so they could see the dramatic scenes never seen before in the world of hundreds of patients in in one institution on ventilators. One hospital, you know, some hospitals have over 150, 200 ventilators and more. Uh, more, there were some hospitals that had upwards of 280 to 300 patients on ventilators. That, That's yeah. never happened in history. Yeah. It's never occurred, and people should understand we're not being overly cautious. We're trying to save their lives by keeping everybody uh, closely, uh, closely apart, I should say, meaning right. separated from the rest of society until this thing blows through us.
And that's why, by the way, uh, we have a debt of gratitude. It's not the exact same scene as you just described, but we have a debt of gratitude to people like uh, Ellie Beer and Ellie Schwabel and others who released videos when they were at the height of their sickness to show people that if you are lax regarding mitigation, you could end up like this, barely yeah. able barely able to breathe, barely able to live life. And in one case, the MSG director, who thank God recovered, who many people know from Madison Square Garden Productions, uh, he said he literally, um, he literally was on the phone with a relative of his and said, I want to die. This is so bad. I want to die now. In retrospect, of course, he said he didn't mean that, obviously. Right. But but you get the point that it, that God forbid you get COVID, somebody you could be at a point where you are praying that God put an end to the misery. Yes, I, I analogize it to take a uh, take something, cover your face for ten seconds with a pillow or with an object to block your breathing. That's how COVID patients in the in the early stages, meaning when they're in the hospital at the early stages, feel at some point. You can't get a breath into your into your mouth, into your airway. It is the most frustrating, frightening thing to witness uh, a patient being oxygen starved by a simple viral infection. Uh, it was it's the scariest thing you can ever imagine. Unbelievable. Uh, thank you and God bless you. Thanks for your amazing work on behalf of our community and on behalf of all humankind throughout this entire thing. It's much appreciated. And have a a wonderful, peaceful, and somewhat lonely Shabbos. I know for you it's never lonely because you have to take care of so many patients, but you get my point. Let's stay as alone as possible while we stay as together as possible. Thank you, Nochum. Good Shabbos, and I appreciate the time. Dr. Stuart Dichik, COVID-19 update here at JM in the AM. I thank him for his words. And I am not, and I, I don't want to um, anyone to misunderstand what I say. I am not minimizing when anyone asks a rabbi anything. You know, on the outside, to other observers, it may sound like silly questions, but any question you ask a rabbi is obviously an important question to that person. I'm not minimizing that. But if you look for the guidance of rabbis when they're giving you advice on regular daily matters, how can you not listen to them when they give you a directive in regard to life and death? Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. Spend the day together with the Holy 
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at Better Kosher Supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. Go to their website, kosherdogs.net kosherdogs.net and enjoy a 10% discount with promo code radio kosherdogs.net promo code radio support our 2020 fundraiser if you appreciate the conversations and the uh, features that we have on this program support our 2020 fundraiser and keep us going go to fjbunity.org foundation for jewish broadcasting fjbunity.org fjbunity.org you can commemorate a portion of the program for a yard site or any occasion, and I thank you. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Naomi Nachman is next at 9.30 Eastern Time, and then Mark Zamek with the Arab Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Avrami tomorrow night with Saturday Night Seagull. Matis Sunday live at 7 a.m. with JM Sunday. I speak to you Monday morning. Till then, Nachman Seagull reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.